Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are an almighty God. Lord, I just pray that your words come forth today. Let them come through with power, with might. Father, challenge us, change us. Fill us with your hope. Fill us with your love. Lord, fill us with your vision and your purpose. That we may be more like Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles there, flick quickly to John chapter 15. And then we'll go to Isaiah 61. If you don't have your Bible, then I think Ivan's working hard to get up on the screen for me and work it with me. So that's cool. I want to talk about how you'll be like Jesus. Because this is October, and October for me is Vision Month. It's when I start to, my family gets upset with me between now and whenever. Because this is when I start to assess the year that's gone, and I start to look at the year that's coming, and I start to, to work through vision and, and planning and purpose and, and start to get direction from God as to where we're going next year. You see, if you start doing it in December, then it'll be February, March before you start to work on your plan, and most people give up in January, so it's all over. You know, here we are, October, 88 days till Christmas. So that means a week after that, it's New Year's. Isn't that exciting? And you sit there and think, 2015 is almost gone. And you remember those wonderful resolutions, those decisions, those things you said, I'm going to do that this year. And with 88, was that 90? Is this 81? So that means in 88 days, it's New Year's Day. So you've got 88 more days to complete your New Year's resolution. And you're going, that's all over, right? Not necessarily. God's pretty cool. He can do suddenlies. But it's also a good time of the year to actually now sit down and think about where do you want to be next year? What does God have for you next year? And this is a really cool thing with God. You see, we often go, God, what do you want for us? And do you know what he says to us? What do you want? I was watching um, Jesse Duplantis yesterday, and he puts it down to four different areas. But he says things like, how big can you dream? How hard are you prepared to work? What are you prepared to do? And like Dale said, are you prepared to leave the past behind. You know what? There's nothing I can do about what has happened this year already. I can't change anything before this moment. You know, I can't go back and I can't change the grand final result. It's done. I can't change that the dog has actually finished first at something. I can't change that Docker's supporters feel like they've achieved something. (laughs) You can't change anything before this point, but you can change what's coming. 
And too often we sit back and we actually wait for God to do. And this is the church is really bad at this. We sit back and we go, you know what? If it's going to happen, God's going to make it happen. Because we have this attitude that if, if it's God's will and purpose, then it's going to happen. And that is not true. And you can go to the start of Genesis to find that. Because God's will and purpose for Adam and Eve was them to be in the garden and was them to, for them to spread that garden all over the universe and for them to walk hand in hand with him, to be in close relationship with him. It was not God's will for them to step into sin. But they did, right? Just like it's not God's will for you to go through some of the stuff that you've been through. It's not God's will for you to mess up when you've messed up. It's not God's will for you to sit there and carry all the baggage that you're carrying. So God's will does not always happen. God's will, God's purpose, his plan for you, John 15 says, is for you to abide in him. And for him and his word to abide in you. And he says a really cool thing when he says that. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 7, sorry Ivan, I didn't put the verse on there. He says that if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask whatever you desire be done for you. Now I've heard this spiritualized. I'm saying, well, if you're abiding in God and he's abiding in you, then it takes out all the fleshly desires of this world and you'll only desire spiritual things. Hogwash. That's a whole lot of rubbish. You see, you can't separate spiritual and physical. If it happens in the heavens, it happens on earth. Because he says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. What you do here has an effect in the heavenlies. And we've got to understand that you can't separate spiritual and physical. It all comes in together. If it's happening to you spiritually, it'll happen to you physically. If you are prosperous and blessed spiritually, it will happen physically. But if you hold on to the past and you hold on to unforgiveness and you hold on to things that aren't good for you, it will start to manifest physically. They're now doing research on dementia patients and they're finding more and more, because I mean, I've just come out of aged care and, and one of the biggest growth areas in aged care is dementia. And what they're finding with dementia patients over and over and over again is that they have not dealt with certain areas of their life. They have not either forgiven something or they have not dealt with the trauma properly. They have not given it over. They're holding on to it and it starts to affect, affect how they think and their brain starts to shut down. You see, what happens in the spiritual affects you physically. You have to deal with your stuff. 
Are you hearing me? But beyond that, God doesn't want you just to deal with your stuff. He wants you to have a vision and a purpose. He wants you to ask him, what do you want? It's like walking into this toy store. You know, I've got children, I've got a grandchild. Children, you get, to, you get to spoil a little bit because, you know, you've got to live with the consequences. Grandchildren... You get to spoil even more because you don't have to live with the consequences. I'm always trying to find ways of, of sneaking, you know, sugar-loaded products to Isabella. Shh, don't tell the parents. You know, and I go shopping and I see things and I think, gee, I want to buy that. I want to give them to Isabella. See, if I give them to my kids, then they're in my house and they get lots of stuff everywhere, right? And then you have to go through and deal with the stuff. So, sorry, my kids, but, you know. And I do it occasionally. But with my grandchild, I don't have to deal with that stuff. It's not in my house. He says, knowing there's a box in the corner of one of them with all her stuff in it. But... So I can actually get things for Isabella, I've worked out. And it doesn't end up in my house and I get to spoil her. And I wanted to get to the age where I can take her to the toy shop and she can go, I want this and I want that. And I get to give it to her. And I get to bless her just because she wants it. And you know what? That's how God is with us. He actually looks at you and he says, what do you want for your life? What is the dream and the vision that's inside you? What's the purpose? What, what do you want to do with your life? Because you see, inside you, you have a purpose. And he wants to go beyond what you can dream and vision and imagine. He wants good things for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give to you. Because the Bible says that compared to what I want to do, my intentions are evil compared to how much he wants to bless you. You see, too often we look at God through the eyes of our own fathers. And we say, well, you know, my own, I mean, my dad's a great guy. I love my dad. He's fantastic. But he's not perfect. But I can't compare my earthly dad to my heavenly father because they're actually not the same. Just like my kids can't really compare me to their heavenly father because he is just so much more generous and he wants so much more for us than what we could ever want for our kids. He is a good God. And we have to learn to start to being like him. But the church, we've sold this lie that we're supposed to live without. We're supposed to go without. Like Dale says, we're supposed to sacrifice. Jesus has already been the sacrifice. And any time you try and make a sacrifice instead of him, you're saying what he did isn't good enough. 
Paul says, look, you know, I consider everything nothing. And I do. I consider everything I have nothing compared to what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so I don't put my trust in my possessions. I don't put my trust in my house or my car. I don't put my trust in my bank account. I don't put my trust in my job, which is just as well because I just lost it. My things are getting retrenched. I don't put my trust in those things. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, it's about obey rather than sacrifice. See, God's not interested in your money. He's interested in your life. And when you walk in His way, you step into the blessing. See, the blessing is actually always there. The goodness of God is actually always there. But the problem is that we step out of it because of the way we think and the things that we do. And usually it's just the way we think. Because we're conditioned with the world to say, oh, well, this is how it is. And Satan comes in and he accesses through a couple of ways. He either comes in because of unbelief. He either can come in through sin or he comes in and he's not allowed to be there. Unbelief you can deal with by getting God's word and feeding on it and actually reading it and believing what it says and living by it. When you do that, you turn unbelief into faith because you go from fear to faith. That's what unbelief is. It's fear. And you step into faith and actually start to think like God thinks. If you're into sin, then just stop it. I find most people who are caught in habitual sin, it's because they're like Dale says, they're always looking back. They're looking back at their failure. They're looking back at where they got it wrong. And Satan comes and reminds them of their past and it comes up and they think, oh, I messed up. And then they step back into messing up in the same way. Stop looking backwards. You can't change what has happened. You can't do a thing about yesterday. You can't do anything about five seconds ago. You've got to start looking forward. And when you look forward, you look at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you get a perspective because you start to look through Jesus and you start to see things as he sees them. The third area is when Satan gets in there and he ain't allowed to be there. And too often as Christians, you know, we sit back and we just let Satan rip. We let him have his way. We just accept stuff that's thrown us and we go, this is how it is. It ain't how it is. How it is is how God says it is, and it's our job to actually enforce what God set out to do. When he made creation, when he made the heavens and the earth, and he put us in the middle of it, he said, this is for you. He said, I give you all authority and dominion over every creature, over all of heavens and earth. It's yours to take care of. And then man stuffed it up and handed it over to Satan. But Jesus came and took it back. And he said, if you believe in me, 
If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. You can ask whatever you want. In other words, you have the authority back. So when Satan comes and says, your mum's got cancer, your grandma had cancer, I'm giving you cancer, you can say, I don't think so. Because the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Matthew says that Jesus took up all our infirmities and carried all our diseases. In other words, Jesus has already borne every sickness. So if it starts coming your way, it has no right. As long as you deal with your sin, you're abiding in him. There is no right for Satan to have access to your life. And we accept that really easily for sickness, don't we? Except when we're feeling sick. I'm amazed. It really is around that. I'm off my notes here. Sorry, Ivan. But I'm amazed how when people get sick, they, they, they go to the doctor. They go and get their scans. They go and sit for hours in hospitals and surgeries and go through all this process, but they don't pick up the Word of God. And I know that this is challenging for some of you. You're going, you don't know my situation. Well, I'm saying you don't know my situation. I've been there. I got a thing that was very similar to whooping cough for three months. I could not get out of bed. Nearly died twice. They took a tray about as big as this stand here, and it was just loaded with vials of blood, and they just took all this blood doing test after test after test after test. I had absolutely no energy. Couldn't go to work. Couldn't do anything. The only thing I could do was read God's Word. I didn't know what I knew now about healing, but in that three months I discovered it. Because I knew that there was nothing that the doctors could do for me. There was nothing anyone could do for me. It was all about Jesus. And so I got everything I could on healing and I started reading it. I got the Word of God and I started going through it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And about three months in, it went off inside of me that Jesus took up all my infirmities and carried all my diseases and I was instantly healed. It doesn't mean that Satan doesn't still try it. I mean, earlier this year, you know, I had a disco on my back. And they said to me, you're going to have to have surgery. And we're going to wait after surgery. I thought, forget this. So I'd get up every time I started, you know, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't sit down. Didn't sit down for two months. All I could do was either lay down or stand up, which gets really tiring. Because I could only lay on one side. That's Satan. He will come and he will try and steal and he will push you. If you stand up and say, I am going to believe God, I am going to live my life for him, he is going to push you. But you have authority over him. So take it back to him. That's what I did. I I mean, the great thing now is YouTube is an awesome thing. You know, I could download sermon after sermon after sermon on healing and just stick the headphones in and listen to it and feed my spirit on healing. And I could pick the Word of God up. And I would, 2 o'clock in the morning, be walking around my lounge room, listening to sermons, declaring what God has done for me. Two of my friends 
Same time, same issue, both had surgery, still suffering. I ain't. That's what God does for you. But you've got to get aggressive. We're in a warfare with Satan. Now let me push over into money. People don't like preachers talking about money. I don't know why. What's wrong? Does anyone here not use money? All right. So it's an issue we all face every day. Yeah. I don't know about you, but bills come. Debts roll our way sometimes, don't they? And sometimes, not sometimes, but all the times. The biggest cause of marriage breakup is money. The biggest stress factor for people is money. The biggest cause of sickness is money. So don't you think we should talk about money? If it's affecting everybody's life so much? So let me talk about money. Because I find we can talk about sickness and people are okay with that now. 30 years ago they weren't. Now they're okay with that. You can talk about that. But don't talk about money. All the church wants is money. Well, this church doesn't want money. If you don't want to give it, then don't. I'm okay with that. Because you're not my source. This church is not reliant upon you. We're reliant upon God. God supplies our need. He may use you. He may use somebody else. But if you won't do it, he'll do it. So if you don't want to give, that's cool. I'm okay with that. I'll give you what I've got for free. Not really paying me for it anyway, so that's all right. I talk about money because God talks about money. You know, Jesus talked more about money than he talked about love. Do you know that? I think it's like two or three times more. Why? Because he understands people. And he wants to show you how you can actually break through and not have money controlling you because, you know, the debt collector's ringing. Or you're getting those bills and you're thinking, how the heck am I going to pay it? Because then that puts stress on you. And then you take that out on your family. And then your family starts to fall apart. And your whole life starts to fall apart. And you get in this cycle. And you know I'm talking the truth. So therefore, we need to talk about money, don't we? Let me tell you how God sees money. It's not how the world sees money. The world says, get everything you can and hold on to it because everybody wants what you've got. You know, there are some places when we traveled overseas recently, I felt like that. You know, you, I mean, I remember walking through one city and we were in the non-tourist area and feeling like, you know, really having a great time and, and we, felt, we felt perfectly safe, felt perfectly great. And we stepped over, I remember crossing the line almost, into the tourist area, and suddenly I wanted to put my hand on my wallet to make sure it was still there. Just that urge came over. I no longer felt safe. It was just crossing this like a spiritual line. God doesn't see you like that. God does not, God doesn't need your money. This might be a revelation to you, 
But God doesn't need your money. He paves his streets with gold. I don't know about you, but we walked in on concrete. Yeah? There's a bit of bitumen out there. He paves his streets with gold. If you have a trouble, if you have trouble with wealth, you're going to struggle in heaven. Because he does not give you a tent to live in. He hasn't got his duplex block because that's all he can afford. You're not walking around on the red dirt. Heaven's full of mansions and you get your own one. The streets are paved with gold. The gates are made of pearl. God does not need your money. He needs you to change how you think about money. See, we have this thing that well, you can't serve God and money. No, you can't. You also can't serve God and cars. You can't serve God and your wife. You can't serve God and your husband. You can't serve God and your work. You can't serve God and your hobby. The word's actually not money in the Bible. It says mammon, which means anything that you put before God. I don't know, some guys, it's their car. They put their car before their wife, let alone before God. God doesn't need your money. What he wants is your life. What he wants you to say is, he wants you to take all that stuff that you're carrying around your life, the things where you're upset about this that happened and that happened in your life, where you were hurt and maybe abused in the past and you're holding on to that, where someone said or did the wrong thing to you and it still hurts you inside, where maybe you're in your relationship and your husband or your wife and things aren't going so well between you then you want to, and you're just holding on to that stuff and you're holding on to that stuff and you get into arguments and you keep bringing up and the hurt keeps rising up and it keeps rising up in your life and God is saying, it's time to let go of the past because he actually wants to bless you he wants to prosper your relationships he wants to prosper you in your work he wants to prosper you in your home he wants to give you good things he only asks you to give your tithes and to give an offering because it's like a seed. Did you see the offering picture that came up? It had a seed. Because when you give money, it releases you and it no longer holds you. You hold it. And when you can hold money and give, then you are open to actually receive. And you go against the world system that says, hold on to everything you've got and defend yourself. And we've taken it to the extreme and we defend ourselves against our spouses and against our family members and against those we work with and those in our world and we put up our walls because money really represents every other area of our life. But he says, don't do that. He says, trust me. Let go. Give a little. God doesn't care how much you give. You know that he, he does not give a rat's about how much you give. He cares about does he have your heart? Does he have your life?
But you see, when he's got when you he's got your life, when he's got all of you, then he knows he can make you into who he made you to be. And when he's got your life, your money is no longer important. Your car or whatever it is in your life is suddenly no longer important. What's important is Jesus. And he says, then he can add to you. That's why he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you want. Because he knows he has your life and he can make you be all he made you to be. You know, he said way back in Joel, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. It doesn't matter whether you're a South Central Church, Church of Christ, Baptist, Pentecostal, conservative, Buddhist, atheist. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And with that, he said, comes dreams and visions. See, when you were born, you were born with a dream. You were born with a vision. And life comes and beats the crap out of you until you've got no more dream. You've got no more vision. And all you can see in front of you is your failures. But God says, I'm bigger than that. I can give you your dream. I can give you your vision. I can give you your purpose. But you'll only find it in me, he says. You only find that in relationship with God. Christianity was never a religion. Religion is law that binds up. It's in relationship with God. And when you get back in that relationship and you start to trust Him and you start to let go of the past and you start to forgive and you start to give everything into His hands, He starts to reignite dreams and visions and He changes how you look at life. And suddenly you start to see Him as that loving Father. Not the guy up there with a great big rod in his hand waiting to beat you. That's not him. It's never been him. That's something the devil has sold to the world. He has always been from the very start loving father. Yeah, he's just because he wants the best for you. Just like I'm just with my children. You know, Isaac's six. I don't give him the, the stay sharp knives and say, yeah, go and play. Because it's not good for him. But there'll come a time when he can handle the knife. That's how God is. Sometimes he does hold things back a little because they're not good for us. But he wants us to grow to the point where we can handle them. Where we can handle all he has for us. Because he is a good father. And it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And he will give you your dreams. You don't believe me? Look at Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old. He had a dream of having a kid. He was 99. Sarah was like in her late 80s. Everything on this earth said it's impossible to have children. And yet Isaac was born. It's never too late with God. 
Because God doesn't put limits on. We do. You see, when you read the book, you know how to live. And you get to know your father. When you read the book, you discover he actually wants good stuff for you. Not only that, but he wants you to take your good stuff and to teach others how to do good stuff and how to share your good stuff. But we've got to change how we think about God. You can ask whatever you desire. The only requirement is you have Jesus in your life. That you put his word in. The only reason you're putting the word in is because it changes how you think. So you can think like him. It's not a law. It's not like a, you do this and I'll do that. It's a, if you do this, this is what will happen. Because he knows we have to change how we think. His will is to pour out the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing. And that word blessing is actually translated into material things. Don't spiritualize it. Material things. He was all pour out so much material wealth upon you, you cannot handle it. You can be the blessing. That's his will. But it's our thinking that stops that. So he says, let my word abide in you because that changes how you think. What's your vision? What's your plan? What's your purpose? What do you want God to do for you? If all things are possible, what can you believe? God loves you. I really want to encourage you. Get rid of your stuff. Stop holding on to the past. It's a new day. Move forward. Don't wait till the end of the year. Oh, it's my New Year's resolution. Start right now. Transform the rest of this year. Make a decision to put God's word into your life, to have a relationship with him. Make a decision to live for him. He says when you seek him first and his way of living, he adds all these things unto you. You don't have to worry about all the other stuff. He's got it covered more than you ever could. Our job is to seek him. Let's all just close our eyes and just take a minute while your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed. I want to ask you, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I need Jesus in my life. You might know about God, maybe you don't know anything about him, but you don't know him. You don't have him in your life. You don't have a relationship with him. Jesus came and he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he did it for a purpose. He died up there. He said when he went up there, he took all of your sin. He took all of the things you've done wrong in your life. He took all of your guilt. He took all of your shame. He took all of your burdens and he took them on the cross with him. And when he died, he buried them in hell. And then he rose again. To show that he had victory over anything that could come your way. 
Because God knew we needed to be free of our stuff in this life. We needed to be free of our guilt and our shame. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I want the life that God is offering. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to give my life over to him. I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. So if you're sitting there and you're going, look, I don't know much about God or I know something about God, but I need to know God. And you want to know him. You want Jesus in your life. So everyone's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed. Just slip your hand up and say, look, include me in that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up. Thanks. Once I've said it in your hand, you can put it back down. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're saying, I want, I want anyone else? You're saying, I want God in my life. Maybe you've been walking with God and, and, you know, you've walked away. And you know you need to come back to him. You can know him. You can be back in relationship with him. You can break the habitual sin. You can break the things that are tormenting you right now. Just say, put your hand up and say, include me in that prayer. All you do is slip your hand up. If you don't know Jesus, thank you. Or you know Jesus and you need to get back with him again because things aren't right. Just slip your hand up and say, include me in that prayer. Anyone else? Just take a few more seconds. Just slip your hand up right now. This is too important. This is about changing your life. All right. Okay, I want you to look at me. We're going to pray a prayer together. And as we pray this prayer, if you put your hand up, I want you to just take everything you've got within you and just pray it over here. What we're going to do is we're going to ask God to forgive us of our sin. We're going to ask him to come into our life and to take leadership of our life. We're going to turn our back on anything the devil has ever done, and we're going to make a commitment and a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody to pray together. I'll say something, and you repeat it. And if you put your hand up, you just go, I'm meaning this. I'm walking with Jesus. And as you do, it's like that. It's not about what you feel. You may feel something. You may feel nothing. But this is what you call a step of faith. That as you say these words and give your life over to Jesus, he hears every word that you say. And he accepts you into the kingdom of God. You become a child of God and an heir to everything that is God's. It's the start of a journey. Let's pray together. Just repeat after me. Father God, Thank you that you love me. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the things I've done wrong. Forgive me for my guilt and shame. I renounce them now in the name of Jesus. I renounce the devil in the name of Jesus. I choose this day forevermore to live for Jesus Christ and accept him as my Lord and my Savior. Holy Spirit, come and fill me and reveal the Father to me that my life may glorify the Father. I receive your blessing now. I receive salvation now. 
And I rejoice in you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Awesome. You just made a decision to be a Christian. You just made a decision to follow Jesus. Now what you do from this point on is actually really important. Because like in any relationship, you know, I have an awesome wife. You've seen her up here trying to steal my sermons this morning. All right. But we have a good relationship. And she said to me, yeah, do you mind preaching this weekend? I'm just not really feeling that place where, you know, really like, would you mind if you did it? She got up and I went, no, forget that. She's preaching. So obviously she's in that place already. But we have, we have a relationship. You know, when I get up in the morning, I like to kiss my wife and tell her how beautiful she is. All right? If I get up in the morning and I grump at her, things don't go well in our relationship. When I get up and tell her how much I love her and how beautiful she is, things go well. Yeah? All right? The more I find out about what my wife likes, the more I'm able to bless her, the better our relationship goes. And yeah, we hit tough times and rocky times, but we keep talking and communicating and because we get to know each other. Yeah? You don't get to 25 years without some level of communication. All right? It's the same with God. You come in, you're in a relationship with Him. It's not about a whole lot of laws and rules. It's about a relationship with Him. And the best way you can grow in your relationship with God and to be more like Him is to actually communicate with Him and talk with Him. How? You do it by prayer. What's prayer? Prayer is just talking to God. How do you talk to God? The same way you talk to anybody else. You know? When things are going bad, I say, God! What's going on? And then he talks back. Phil! Good stuff. Get your eyes on me, not on your situation. You know, God, God talks. God has a sense of humor. You can talk to God, and over time you'll learn to hear his voice. The other thing is you need to be reading the Bible. If you don't have one, come and see me. We'll get you one. There's some floating around. If they're not here, there's some in my house. I'll drop one off to you. All right? Start in Matthew, not in Genesis. All right, the, book, it's, the Bible's broken up into a whole lot of different books. Halfway through, there's a book called Matthew. Find that, start there, start reading forward. All right? I want to encourage you every single day when you get up in the morning, just read a chapter of the Bible and spend a few minutes just talking with God. When you, before you go to bed at night, do the same thing. You know, if I only spoke to my wife in the morning, hey, how you going, honey, and didn't speak to her the rest of the day, what sort of relationship would we have? Sometimes we don't see each other all day or we're running around and it is only morning and night. But I make sure before I go to bed, I say goodnight to my wife, how much I love her. Even if I was on the road, I'd do that. I'd ring her up. I'd make up in the morning. I'd ring her. How you doing? All right? It's the same with God. It says he'll stick closer than a brother. So every morning, just read a chapter and talk with him. It's not about how you feel. You know, there are times where I don't feel like loving on people. I know it's hard to believe, but there are times. All right? But I do it anyway. I don't tell my wife I love her because I feel like I love her sometimes. Well, that was there pretty well is, you know. But I tell her because I do. God's the same. He wants to tell you he loves you every day, whether you feel it or not. Reading his word, you'll discover who he is and what he has for you. Talking to him, you'll find he'll start talking back. Not audibly, it becomes in your mind, in your heart, you know it's him. 
That's how you grow. That's how you start to change how you think to how God thinks. And you start to get free of the stuff that ties you down. It's a journey. It's a relationship. All right, if you put your hand up, I really encourage you to just come and see myself or to see Dale. Um, in fact, go and see Dale. She's got all these white Jesuses and stuff like this. Wave your hand, babe, down the back. All right, go and see her. Get a white Jesus off her. Grab a Bible off her. All right, and, um, and if you want to talk, I'm going to hear after service, after service to talk. But I want to encourage you, step into what God has for you. Don't take a backward step now. All the way. You know, when, when I said I do to my wife, it wasn't waking up the next morning going, hmm, maybe we're the wrong decision and, and start to back out. What sort of relationship is it going to be? This is where you go forward. So run with him. Yeah? Lord bless you. Have an awesome day. Good things into your life because he loves you.